by Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And somebody, after my recent video talking about two different fan films based on the Tour and Turumbar story, or at least kind of loosely that way, mentioned another fan film that I had not seen yet called One of the Seven. Astute readers of The Lord of the Rings will probably guess where this is going if you haven't already seen the, the fan film itself. It's basically about one of the seven dwarven rings. Now, before we get deep into it, I will say this is the first fan film that I have seen that I was actually kind of just not impressed by. And when I say not impressed, that's not to say that there's nothing impressive about it, but this is one that I could have done without. <laughs> Um, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean in a bit, but first let me give kind of a rundown of the plot, if you, you know, are interested in that sort of thing. If not, and you want to watch it first, the link is in the description below, so you can go back and go watch that, and then come back here and finish my review of it. Um, but I'm going to give a brief description of the plot, and then I'm going to explain what I like and what I don't like. So the plot is... <sighs> Pretty simple, actually. It's one of the longer fan films out there. I want to say it was around 20, 20 to 25 minutes long. Uh, and a lot of fan films don't get that long. Some do, of course. But in this particular one, what we have at the beginning is it talks about the seven dwarven rings. And it then shows that, it well, it speculates that maybe not all of them were lost or you know reclaimed by Sauron or whatever. And then we see that Elves find one of the Dwarven Rings just on the ground randomly somewhere. Uh, and they take it and they give it to whoever. We don't know exactly, but they find it and they take it somewhere. And I don't remember if at this point it specifically says that this is in Mirkwood, but we find out that it's Mirkwood very quickly. So we're talking about the, four, the Wood Elves of Mirkwood. And then we find out that there's a couple of Dwarves looking for the ring following the trail of the Elves. Now... The dwarves here are played by, I, I have to assume, a couple of children. And when I say children, I mean they're probably 8 to 12 range, uh, if I had to guess. Because they're clearly short, and they have, like, one of them has painted on scruff. And they're clearly made to look like Feely and Keely from <laughs> the Hobbit movies, okay? Uh, it's very, very painfully obvious that that's what they're going for. And in fact, most of the most of the characters in this film look like they're just obviously taken straight from Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy. So anyway, these two dwarves are looking for it, and it says something along the lines of "Elves need leave no trace, but there's always a path to follow." And then one of the dwarves sees that there's like a piece of limbus on the ground crumbled up that wasn't finished and there's a leaf and so right off the bat I am mildly annoyed by the fact that you literally just told me that elves leave no trace and yet they drop the biggest breadcrumb pun intended for these dwarves to follow okay like that's that's bad story writing people it's bad because you literally just lied to me and also did something that was just not very intelligent in terms of storytelling Anyway, not to get caught up in stuff like that, but... So they f start following the trail or whatever, and then, of course, we get to a point where they're they're walking through the woods, and they see 
the Elven King, and yes, it's clearly Thranduil from, you know, The Hobbit, the aesthetic and everything. In fact, the guy they got to play him with when he's looking with kind of just a straight face could almost be mistaken for Lee Pace's Thranduil. When he starts moving his face more, it becomes less similar, uh, but he's clearly dressed the same, got the same hair, pretty much everything. He's just walking through the woods looking at the ring, which is in the palm of his hand, and he's, I don't remember if at this point it brings it in, but at some point, it, you know, he's like thinking of memories of apparently his wife who continues to kind of talk to him in his subconscious. I don't know exactly how this works, um, but <clears throat> she's kind of the, the better angel on his shoulder, uh, as we will see through the story. Anyway, they find him and they're going to they're getting ready to basically take him out and get the ring when a whole bunch of other elves show up. And by show up, I mean just kind of appear out of the woods. Because, of course, dwarves breathe so loud that they could be shot in the dark and the elves are all really well camouflaged. And it uses the line, dwarves, you know, breathe so loud that they could be shot in the dark. That's another thing that this movie does. It doesn't just take its aesthetic from The Hobbit. It very, very often will pull lines from either the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit movies, just constantly, and not just lines, sometimes just images and tropes and things like that. I mean, it's just a constant barrage of, look, this is from the movies. <laughs> um, so anyway, they're caught by the elves. Uh, they you know have to drop their weapons and whatnot, and they're brought before Thranduil. And then out of nowhere, because nobody was carrying this chest before, the one dwarf pulls out a chest and opens it, and it's, you know, all the white gems that were shown to Thranduil in the Hobbit movie, and he's basically offering a trade, saying, here, we'll give you these that we know you want, you know, in exchange for the dwarven ring. Now, at this, by this point, Thranduil's wife has at least said something about the fact that he liked those gems, and something about her in connection with it. I forget exactly how because the timing I don't remember, but she occasionally, her voice will kind of pop into his head, and it's not clear if he's just hearing like a, his own memory of her or like just thinking what would she want or if she's actually talking to him in some fashion. But there is a mention of her being lost to the darkness at some point in the past, and it's not clear ever what that means. Did she die? Did she get taken cap? We don't know. It doesn't ever explain that phrase. Uh, but anyway... He's looking at it, and he's like, no, I'm not taking it. And then his wife kind of intervenes again and says, you know, you really probably should, you know. And so he goes back. He hands the ring to one of the elves who takes it to the dwarves, and they get a, give him the chest full of gems or whatever, and he lets the dwarves go on their way because his wife talked him into being a nice guy, right? So that's that's cool. Well, it turns out the dwarves played him dirty, or at least the one dwarf did. The other dwarf apparently wasn't aware of this. But anyway, the the when they get down the road a little ways, they're talking or whatever, and then it turns out he didn't actually give him the gems. He gave him an empty chest. How the dwarf pulled off that trick is re really not clear, because uh, there's no way it could have been done under the circumstances. But anyway, they open the, the elves open the chest and they see that there's basically nothing in it. And of course, Thranduil is mad. Now, I should mention here, 
there's basically no dialogue other than when the wife kind of steps in. Everything is narrated by a female narrator who I think is a different voice than the wife. But now I'm forgetting. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Thranduil is mad. He sends his elves out to go get the dwarves. <clears throat> the one dwarf who was not really in on the fact that this was all a con. It's like, we need to get out of here <laughs> because they're going to be mad. And it ends up being that the the blonde dwarf, who is the one, and I'm, I'm saying the blonde dwarf because it's not Feely and Keely, but they look exactly like them. Uh, the blonde dwarf, who is the one who pulled the trick, decides to go back. He gives the ring to the dark-haired dwarf and, by the way, has a hard time doing that because it's it's like the ring trope. It's like, I can't give it to you. They treat this ring like it's the one ring. Like it's just really hard to give up and all this other stuff. And it's not entirely true, but it's also probably not entirely false that the other great rings would be exactly like that. Uh, I don't think it would be quite the same as <laughs> the kind of phenomenon you see with the one ring. But at any rate, he gives it to him. He goes back to try to buy him time by stopping the elves who are going to come looking for him. That, of course, does not go well. He ends up being captured. Dark-haired dwarf continues on. He gets to a river, and he thinks about how much damage this has caused, and he's about to throw it into the river, and he does the whole Frodo thing where he's holding it, and then he, he just claims it for himself. It's like, uh, okay, guys, seriously. <clears throat> anyway, the elves catch up with him at this point, and they've got their arrows trained on him. And so he, you know, puts his hands up, and then he drops the ring in the river. Oops, you know, like, okay, if I can't have it, then y'all can't have it either. And it ends up in the river, and... Presumably, like the One Ring was supposed to have done, according to Saruman's theory, rolls its way down to the sea. Who knows? Um, and then he starts walking over to where the elves are to give himself up, basically. And as he does, he like turns to one of them and winks, like he's actually Feely from the Hobbit movie and winking at Tauriel. And the elf actually goes like, <laughs> it's kind of uh, cheesy as all get out, but. Then as he gets close, he suddenly grabs a knife out of one of the elves' belts and tries to attack, but quickly becomes, you know, creamed. Doesn't take long for him to end up on the wrong side of the knife. Uh, he and the other dwarf get brought before, Ke uh, not Celeborn, Thranduil, and he is about to get really angry. Wife intervenes again, of course, and basically says, you know, don't be a, don't be that guy. <laughs> and he ends up letting him go. And so the dwarves go go away to wherever they're going to go. And then we see Thranduil kind of standing around pensively. And then the camera pans just a little bit. And in the background is what I assume is the Lonely Mountain. which And there's a little bit of voiceover that implies it's about to move into that part of the story. So... The implication is all of this takes place right before the events of The Hobbit, or at least the events of The Hobbit that matter for Thranduil's purposes. So that's basically the movie. I probably missed out on a couple of minor plot points, but it's not that big of a deal. <clears throat> what do I like about it, and what do I not like about it? Well, I will say the most impressive thing about it is the cosplay. 
When I say that they made their stuff look like The Hobbit, I mean, it looks professional. The costumes are great. Now, the weapons, not so much, because you can't really make a really realistic-looking bow and arrow without making it slightly dangerous. <laughs> and so the arrows look... And the sword that one of the sword that one of the dwarf carries, one of the dwarves carries, and then the bow that the other dwarf carries, and of course part of that is because as kids, like I say, I'm I'm pretty sure they're between eight and twelve. There's no way a a person that age and of that strength is going to be able to pull back a real bow. So the bow is kind of fakeish, the arrows are all kind of fakeish, and the sword is it looks like styrofoam that's been painted over, but. I mean, you don't want real weapons in the hands of untrained actors with no real experience doing stunts and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's that gets a pass, right? But other than that, I mean, everything else looks great. I mean, the the visuals are really high quality. I'll give it that. Um, the narration is fine as far as it goes. It's kind of weird watching a fan film of this length and not getting any real dialogue. Uh, I think that was probably done again because the dwarves are being, being played by children. And occasionally you will hear things like laughter and, you know, stuff that's not really dialogue. And the dwarves' voices are played by older men, it's clear, because they have much deeper voices than these children would actually have. And it's just, you know, dubbed over... Uh, so, I mean, it's it's kind of strange, but I understand why they did it. So, that's unfortunately almost all I can say about what I like about this fan film. Uh, things that I don't like about this fan film mount up rather quickly. As you can probably tell by now, I am not a fan of how often they reference the movies with all kinds of different lines and tropes, and, and, and it's constant. Like, I gave you a couple just as examples, but I mean, it's just like every minute or two, there's another reference in some way to one of the movies, and it's just like, oh, golly, this is just an example of... It's just an excuse, really, to use a bunch of movie stuff to kind of make it look like, hey, we're part of that world, too, and it's just... It rubbed me the wrong way. Um, so, I'm not a fan of that. I'm also not a huge fan of the plot as a whole because there's the the idea that one of the Dwarven Rings would have been found by the Elves of Mirkwood and kept by Thranduil when... you know I, I'm not really a fan of that level of contradiction with... Tolkien stories. If you're going to do an adaptation or a fan film or fan fiction related to Tolkien, please at least keep it consistent. I mean, that's just not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that, you know. Also, as I mentioned and hinted at earlier, the whole idea that you can say, the narrator can tell us that elves leave no trace and then show us the biggest trace they could have possibly left, probably, like, at least be consistent with your storytelling. And so this, I hate to say this because it's really not the same thing, but watching this, I got flashbacks of the Rings of Power because of the inconsistent storytelling, the constant references without really getting the heart of what the story is all about and doing the themes right. It struck me as that kind of a production. And like I say, I hate to say that because it's a fan film versus an actual Major production by a big production company, 
but it just gave me that vibe, and it's, I'm not comfortable with that kind of stuff. So, those were some of the things that I didn't like. There's also just the fact that they made the two dwarves look exactly like Feely and Keely, like down to the beards and the hairstyles and everything else. It's like, I can understand doing Thranduil the same, but there's no way Feely and Keely would have been here. If this is supposed to be Feely and Keely, I assume it's not. But if it is, it makes no sense, because if this is right before the events of The Hobbit, they would have to hightail it all the way back to the west, meet up with Thorin and company, and then come back again. And then you would think Thranduil would recognize them, so it can't be them, right? There's no way that works. But then why do they look exactly the same? Like, just make them look a little bit different. Make them look obviously dwarvish, but different people than those two people. You know, that's a little bit too lazy, in my opinion. It's like, you could have done a little better there, guys. Um, so, the and, you know, this, this one is not really a serious complaint, but some of the acting was not great, and most of it was the dwarves, because they're children, they overact. Big surprise, right? But even, like, the elf who kind of does the whole, oh, he we keep me, uh... Her reaction was also, I thought, a little bit ridiculous. But I will say, actually, and this goes back to things that I do like, Thronduil's actor did a really good job of conveying emotion. Like, when he was angry, you could tell he was angry. When he was upset, you could tell he was upset. I mean, like, he did a pretty good job of conveying what he was feeling with just his face, because there's no dialogue, so he can't do it that way. But you... It focuses on his face a lot in this film, and he does a really good job of, you know, kind of conveying that. I thought he did a really good job, but that elf who reacted to fake Feely's wink was just like, that was a little over the top. <laughs> um, so, like, I don't, I don't hold it against the dwarf actors because they're children. I don't expect them to be that great. But the one who was playing the elf, it's like, you could have tone that down a bit more, and you really should have done better, but Thranduil kind of brought that back up, I mean, like, his, whoever was playing him actually did a really good job, I thought, so those are my thoughts on uh, one of the seven, uh, it's, this is a fan film, I think, that just did not need to be made, because it's, it's so purely speculative fan fiction that kind of contradicts what Tolkien wrote, and then just relies so heavily on, you know, references to the movies that it's just, you know, when you compare it to things like Born of Hope and The Hunt for Gollum, things that, you know, try to explore things that we haven't actually seen on film and don't know that much about, and they do it in a way that is very carefully reverent of the original source material you know, compared to those things, this just seems so unnecessary and pointless, and why do we have it? It's just... So, like I say, this is really the first the first fan film that I can say that I am actually disappointed in. Uh, I mean, there's others that are weaker than others, but this is the first one that I'm watching, and I'm just like, this is time that I'm not going to get back. <laughs> So, at least I get to make a YouTube video out of it, right? <laughs> but anyway, that's that's kind of my final thoughts there. I don't want to belabor it too much because I don't want to be too hypercritical of people who put fan films together, especially people who put that much effort into their cosplay. 
like I said, that's top-notch stuff. Um, but I, I, I can't give it more credit than it's due, so I'll just stop talking here and not belabor the point. So, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, let me know what you thought of the film, if you actually watched it. Like I said, description will be below. Also in the description are my other platform links, social links, uh, support links. Follow me on Twitter for occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions throughout the week. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. Thanks to all the channel supporters, especially Elf Friends, PA Brew News, Nathan DeFore, Paul Leone, and Oleg Gregg.